Welcome to the Global Citizen Life Podcast. Today on the show, we have Matthew Bliss. He's an Australian teacher, trainer, L&D developer, and podcasting expert with a strong background in technology and digital working. The last decade of his career has been broad, covering IT support, teaching, facilitation, learning development and delivery, and all across education and government in Australia. Living in Melbourne during the pandemic, he assisted his colleagues to move quickly to remote work and has since been a strong advocate for productivity with technology, but not at the expense of staff well-being. With a new opportunity in content development, Matthew now creates audio and video podcasts for himself and others. He is starting at the entrepreneurial venture into providing his digital work and technology experience to individuals and businesses across the world. New to expat life, he and his wife have moved to Ireland from Australia to live in their home country for a time and to see if it's a good fit. Well, welcome to the show, Matthew. Thank you, Sally. Thanks for having me on. And so you are now in Ireland. Mm -hmm. How long have you been there and why did you choose Ireland from Australia, moving from Australia? Uh, well, the choice was easy. Uh, we've I got together with my wife maybe 10, 10 to 12 years ago, and she's mm -hmm. Irish, and we met well, in Australia. So uh, eventually, it was going to be on the cards that we would give it a go moving over here. Um, actually, a few months after we got together, we lived in London for a time, just because my wife couldn't get a visa in Australia at the time. She started with the working holiday visa. Uh, that ran out had to rely on sponsorships. And then after that, it just kind of didn't renew. So we gave London a shot, didn't quite work out for us, went back on the partnership to Australia for a little while. And um, funnily enough, we resolved to come to Ireland in 2020, but little did we know that the planet would change. <laughs> so uh, we had a lot of time to think about it and uh, what we'd do and get some planning in place. A lot of the planning happened six months before we left, which was in June of this year, at the time of recording, 2023. And mm -hmm. so we've been here for, give or take, three or four months. And it's All going right. well so far. Good. So is it a big change from living in Australia? Because I'm sure like you had your family there and now you're with her family in in Ireland. Um, mm -hmm. So that's some some changes there but I, I'm assuming kind of day-to-day -day life is pretty similar between Ireland and Australia uh you'd think so uh, I think on the face of it if you looked at it on paper it would be pretty mm -hmm. much the same uh mm -hmm. but there are some major differences uh one of those big ones uh you know that that bio that you read is so diverse and broad mostly because at the time that I delivered that to you it, uh, I was still trying to figure out exactly what my job would be here because uh, Australia is a little bit more technology forward in a lot of different areas and uh, Ireland's not behind. It's just at a different stage of development in different areas. Um, and what that means for, for general life over here is that some for some people, it's not as technology forward as you'd expect. Uh, in terms of the seasons, that's probably a radical change that I enjoy because if I get to miss out on another Australian summer where a week is like 45, 50 degrees Celsius, which would be like 110 Fahrenheit 
for you, I think. Yeah. Not the best. I mean, I think, I think it's Las Vegas and those kinds of areas in Arizona that probably cop the hottest temperatures for you guys. So yeah, in Australia, it happened way too often. So I'd very happily trade out a few days at uh, below zero as opposed to above 40 degrees. Um, but other than that, us settling in, like we've tried to make life as simple as possible for ourselves. We're uh, living in a town as opposed to in the countryside or the outskirts or a, a village too far removed from the creature comforts that we would have enjoyed in Australia. So uh, we tried to get as close as we can, but you know, it's hard to cover all the small differences in a single conversation, but there right. are differences. What about kind of the overall cost of living? Because we do yeah. hear quite a bit, or I hear quite a bit, um, Dublin specifically is very expensive. But I have also heard Australia as a whole, even though I'm now comparing a city to a country, I know, but that Australia is quite expensive as well. So mm. how, do, how do you see the comparison for cost of living? Uh, for us, it was largely on balance for the most part, but I think we've been very fortunate with where mm -hmm. we chose to live in the West of Ireland, as opposed to around Dublin. Mm -hmm. uh, also the, the cost barriers are kind of, they, they balance the scales a little bit. So where in Australia, you might pay quite a large amount for your groceries, depending on what you purchase, of course. Uh, in Ireland, the same grocery haul might be, you know, half the price or 70% of the price that you'd pay over there. Um, and look, we won't talk real estate in huge detail because I think the entire planet is suffering from that. But Ireland has it's a absurd. Very... It is absolutely absurd. And I just it don't, it, it's unsustainable. It's it's going to have to give eventually. Like it's just not sustainable, I believe anyway. Yeah. But, and, and the problem with real estate though, too, is because people ask me often too, like, well, how much does a house cost? And it's like, well, if you're in Canada, I'm going to ask you how much does a house cost? You're going to say, well, where are you? How big city location? Like it varies so dramatically. Like it's just yeah. not a question that can just easily be answered. No. And those, those post economic impacts of COVID, I think are the biggest factors for those like in Canada. Mm -hmm. I know I was reading a lot about how companies were buying up properties to create massive rental parks where they can control the rental economy in that area and push people out if they don't want them. In Australia, it was unfortunately very similar, but from a government level where for a short time, because of a, I mean, it, for listeners who aren't aware, Melbourne, where I was living is, uh, it was one of the most locked down cities in the world. Wow. Uh, I think in total it had, uh, I could be wrong. It's been that long since that I've forgotten mm -hmm. who would who would want to remember. But we don't want to remember that stuff. We want to remember a little bit, but we don't really want to remember the detail. We want to remember so it doesn't Precisely. happen again. But other than that, we want to forget. That's it. Uh, but I think it was like 175 to 200 days total. Uh, wow. We had maybe six or seven bouts of lockdowns over the course of two years, which was warranted. I mean, everybody was trying to figure it out, but what that meant for house pricing at the time had a slow ongoing impact. And the government tried to offset that in a very silly way by allowing people to dip into their pensions to cover house deposits in a, uh, a, a controlled market, which then inflated and forced people to lose 
because they couldn't uh, couldn't cover their mortgages, right. which was really unfortunate in Australia. And look, it's still pervading now. Uh, trying to find rentals in Australia, at least, is easy enough as long as you have the money to pay. But this is where Ireland has something a little bit different. Dublin, as you mentioned, is incredibly expensive. It's almost like unless you have a high-paying job there, you cannot live there. And right. most people, even in Ireland, during COVID, uh, moved to the outer areas, like maybe two-hour drive, and they would commute into Dublin as needed. Lockdowns persisting and internet being pervasive, luckily, meant that they didn't have to travel at all, so the country lifestyle was good. Right. But the availability of properties across Ireland is really the thing, the scarcity. So even if you have the cash to drop, if you can't find um, a place, yeah. you're just going to get stuck. So I think over the course of the month and a half that we were looking in the city that we live in, we maybe saw four properties. And all of those were through one agent, which was the the only one that kind of you know, was open to our custom to try and find a place that would come across their desk. And this wasn't advertised properties either. It was a, we know people who are looking, so we're going to connect them with these properties as opposed to putting it on sites and, you know, general market expectations you'd have in other countries. And that's just right. the way things are here. So here it's scarcity more so than cost. But as you say, you know, Dublin is its own economy at this stage. All the jobs are there, all the properties are there, but for that reason, it's all just inflated to the point where it's almost unsustainable. Yeah, I um, I was there, well, obviously before the pandemic, so several years ago now, and talking with people there, and they said, basically, when a, a big turning point for for Dublin and the and the cost of living was when Google moved in. When Google mm. moved their headquarters. So it was when they talk about Dublin, they say, well, before Google or after Google? Because before yep. it was very different. Um, and and then when it moved in, it brought some good things with it. You know, there was jobs and, and there were good things. But then also the prices of housing has just gone it, crazy. It's it's absolutely crazy. So, um, you know, there's there's always pros and cons with everything. Yeah, but the one thing about Ireland is the government is great for creating incentives for people. It's something that maybe we'll talk about a bit later on for the individual as opposed to companies. But for the longest time, it had a very attractive tax incentive for companies looking to house their their companies here. So Google, Apple, Microsoft, Cisco, tons of them placed here. I yes. think um, I think LinkedIn's official address is still Ireland. Even though the tax rate has matched matched Europe and as okay. the general But then but with the matching rate for them that's not worth them moving. They want a, a better that's rate to, to doesn't to justify move. the and, moving cost. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean it makes sense. And I talk to business owners sometimes about this too. It's you know, just because you live in a country doesn't mean you have to have your corporation registered there. And when we look at these big companies, they move for tax benefits. And if if you yourself, if you you've got a company and you're paying 30% tax. Well, if you just move your headquarters and you reduce your taxes, you don't necessarily have to live in that country. Now, some countries you do, so it's not just that black and white, but it makes sense as a business perspective to save 15, 20, 25% in taxes. 
that could be a potential of a lot of money or for even a small company that makes a big difference when you can reinvest that back into your company um, or have it for, you know, to pay yourself more, but then you're paying more personal tax. But even mm. still, it it makes a, a big difference. And that's why big corporations move to other countries. Yeah. But the funny thing is for the individual, it's actually very unattractive in Ireland in terms of the tax rate. Their, hmm. their tax rates are probably at the top end in the range of like 53% of your income, which is crazy. And it's not a system that's tiered like Australia's one is that I'm used to, where you have thresholds of income and you only okay. get charged higher rates of tax on whatever is beyond that threshold. In, in Ireland, there's two, it's 20% and 40%. And then there's considerations for spousal tax returns and uh, you know pensions and government contributions that haven't been removed after the need went away. Yeah. Tax is a complex mm -hmm. conversation that not just companies, everybody should think about. Absolutely. It, it really, I was at a conference I was speaking at um, a few months ago and, you know, there were, there was many people talking about many wonderful places around Europe and different things. And I said, you know, we can sit here and say, if we, if we look at Europe, there's a number of places that have great weather, good food, sunny days, like all these wonderful things that everybody wants. I said, so if you're really unsure or some of the things we need to think about are things that we don't like, or for instance, taxes, because even though every country has taxes, every country has numerous taxes, depending upon what you're doing. And if you're self-employed or company and, and all that kind of stuff, those numbers vary from country to country. And that can make a difference between perhaps if somebody's on the fence between countries, because if we look, for example, say France, France, Spain, and Portugal. Very similar, very similar region. You know, of course, there's differences within each. But if people are really torn of, oh, I don't know which one I should go to. It's like, well, which affordability wise, which is better tax wise, which is in your better interest. And those are things sometimes for people um, to really consider and think about because it can make a difference. Hmm. And it's funny you mentioned Portugal. Recently, that's coming up in conversations for me because uh like as an individual starting a business for myself, um, mm -hmm. the whole digital nomad movement has been quite a strong presence for the last few years. Uh, mine would technically be a nomad-ish kind of role and mm -hmm. being a, getting a taste for the expat lifestyle. I might want to, uh, I guess, take my wife and move somewhere else, take her away right. from her home again. Maybe that won't happen, but we'll see. But they have a a flat 10% tax rate for digital nomads in Portugal, which is really interesting. Though you're probably going to tell me the caveats with all that 10%. Uh, not the caveats. <laughs> Actually, they just made an announcement three-ish days ago that it's called the D7 visa, that they are snating it. It's going to be done. They are no longer going to be taking applications in 2024. Wow. So now whether that's January 2024 or December 2024, because we know about the other visas that they were talking about, the golden visa, and then it was debated back and forth if it would stay, would go, everything. But they they are also getting rid of that um, that one. But there, there's still other visas as mm. well. Like there's every country has numerous visas. And so I just say to people, if there's a will, there's a way. If you are set on a certain country and you really want to move there, there's a there's a way to do it. 
If you are unsure and there's a number of countries, then yes, then you want to look at um, cost of living, taxes, lifestyle, more things. Because for some people, I've talked to people and they said, you know what, I, I want to move to Italy. I don't care. And depending upon how much you make, they have a flat tax rate. And so you could be paying less if, if you make a lot of money. But as some people say, you know what, I don't care if I have to pay taxes compared to what I pay for tax in the US, plus what I pay for healthcare, plus what I pay for my vehicle if I'm in Rome or Florence or places I don't have to have, you know, I'm already paying X amount of dollars and I'm not really getting much in return. But yeah, if I pay that towards taxes, but I'm living in a great place that I love, I'm it's a different lifestyle, I've got healthcare once I'm a resident, and I'm having these things that I could be paying the same, I could be paying a little bit less, but I'm in a place that I love and I enjoy and that's where I want to be and I'll 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 gladly pay it. And so it, it really comes down to personality. It does. And all of it has to factor in on balance with each other. It can't just be a snap decision for one reason. Like Justin Bieber now lives in Ireland. Okay, I'm going to move there so I can hang out with him maybe. <laughs> you know. But, <laughs> Might uh, see him on the street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but the that was like like the the primary reason for us moving was that we wanted to give living in my wife's home a try. Mm -hmm. That was the primary reason for going back. There is kind of a a colloquial call back to Ireland for any anyone Irish who lives anywhere else in the world. Some people don't feel it as strongly as others, but many do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and part of it because was because a lot of them were ejected in the recession in 2011, I think, and mm -hmm. kind of distributed across the world. And the country has been great at saying, hey, we don't want you here because we can't support you. Go and do your stuff elsewhere. No, okay, we're good now. Come back. Yeah. And then go, go, come back. We're good now. <laughs> we're not. Like it's it's kind of a bit of a whiplash thing. And I think that's that's mm -hmm. affected a lot of the expats that I see in in groups online that talk about it. Some, some feel the call, come back and have an awful time just because, I mean, it's not nationalism, but just the idea that you can be back in your home again. And then you get here and you can't get a, a job in your career that pays enough for you to have a standard of living you're used to, or, you know, you missed your family, spent two months with them and then realized you never wanted to hang out with them again. Uh, unfortunate, but sometimes <laughs> happens. It's that's true though, but that's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all the things on balance. Um, money is the big thing that supports whatever you're going to do. And I would urge anyone thinking about it to consider financial stability, uh, as the most important thing. But if you're moving to Ireland specifically, uh, the consideration has to be that you will probably take a bit of a salary cut for whatever job you have, which again, ties back to the cost of living, which for right. a lot of things that are primary here will be a lot less than in other places. But mm -hmm. at the same time, if you're someone like me who enjoys technology, then you're going to suffer a little bit because it either isn't made in Ireland or is housed here through exports, which makes it exorbitantly expensive compared to uh, the salary that you could potentially make. And it just becomes difficult. So, right. Yeah. I think it's, it, it, you're right. It's that balance of co like cost of living salary with, with what you want. If you have a simpler life or want a simpler life, want to enjoy nature more, don't need all the 
the gadgets of life and and want to enjoy, then then it's it's going to be fantastic for some people and for others who want to have the newest, latest and greatest gadget because that's their industry. That's where they thrive. That's where they work may not be the ideal place for them. Mm. Or connecting in industries that necessarily require you to be around a lot of people in a career that requires those things. Like mm-hmm. someone who is working in movies, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you wanted to live in Ireland, you'd either be living in the country and traveling a lot, almost never being home, or you'll live in Dublin and have to make sure you can secure a, a salary that allows you to get a place that is hopefully up to your living standards, not a share house, potentially, depending on what your circumstances are, in order for you to connect with people that are in the films and movie space. It's which in a country like Australia is really interesting. So many films and uh, movies are edited and filmed and created in Australia because those opportunities are made. But because there's so many, uh, like disparate capital cities that can be Mm. hubs for this kind of thing. And to be honest, we have the space and we're not removing farmland to make that happen. Most of it is useless or not useless, but largely barren. Um, Mm -hmm. means that that stuff is a bit more possible. So we'll meet people here who are expats from Australia, who I know like eight years ago when we were here on holiday, we met someone who was doing the, the, uh, the CGI and the graphic effects on the the first Thor film. Okay. Really interesting. But the mm-hmm. fact that he was out here means that it must have been possible for him to do his thing out here somehow. But he did all of that in Australia. So yeah, I don't know. That was a very far flung, you know, metaphor for yeah. the idea that you could think about this stuff. But it just does. Well, but I mean, it, well, I, and I, I, it comes back to uh, when I, I said, um, earlier or it could have been in my previous podcast because I was just talking with somebody just before speaking with you mm-hmm. was when when there's a will there's a way it may not yeah. and and those ways it may not be cheap it's probably not going to be simple and it may not happen fast or quickly but I believe if somebody really wants to do something um, and you know within reason of course relocating job wise things like that when when there's mm-hmm. a will if they really want to they they'll find a way somehow to make it work absolutely so. um <clears throat> and none of this conversation that should deter anyone from coming to ireland if you can if you do have the means and you can find a place to live it's a great place to be the weather's great the people are great uh you know, being able to travel halfway across the country in a couple of hours is unreal. Having access to Northern Ireland and the rest of Europe is excellent. It's, uh, yeah, I, I would, I'm, I'm very happy here, despite, you know, all the things we've talked about so far. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we got those out of the way, you know, because, and I That's do it. like to talk about those things in, when I talk to everybody, because everything isn't, you know, when we, when we watch TV or we look at people's, um, social media platforms, like everything is wonderful and it's all great, but it's, you, you still have to live and there, there's still, there's reality. And every country has got things that um, are kind of negative or just, you know, things that we have to deal with, hoops to jump through and, and stuff. There, There is no perfect country that is just rainbows, butterflies, and unicorns. Like it just doesn't exist. Um, mm. 
So, so with that, so you're there with your wife. So you are on a visa or temporary residency or how, how was that working for you to get there? So this is the fun bit for me. Um, <clears throat> being married to an Irish citizen entitles me to some very, uh, you know, very easy paths to, uh, to getting a visa. So if you're married to an Irish citizen in Ireland, you have, you're entitled to a stamp for, which is essentially a stamp you get at customs upon entering the country. Now the burden of proof there is very small, but you must have your marriage certificate. Um, I believe there is a de facto path as well, though that requires pre-clearance to make happen. Um, on my podcast that I hope I'll get the opportunity to talk about in a sec. Um, we actually talked to an area of the government that created and supported the policy to make de facto partnerships uh, viable in the very same circumstances that I'll be covering here, which is really good. It, it's an important to to reflect that. Um, but being married, marriage certificate, uh, all of my wife's passports, because she was an Australian citizen before we left, uh, and my passport, we just say, we want the stamp for visa, go up to the booth together, and they stamp your passport and say, you need to visit a, a guard or a police station uh, within 90 days, because I believe that's the longest tourist visa that you could mm -hmm. get in Ireland. Uh, and then you book an appointment in whatever county you're in, have that appointment, they secure some identity documents and, uh, you know, lodge it in the system. And within, you know, a week, a couple of weeks, you have your identity documents and you're registered for that visa, I think for up to two years before you have to renew for a third. Um, now that was relatively simple. There it are a lot of things. quite simple. Oh Yeah. Like marriage, marrying an Irish citizen, it's great. That's the way to go. Now that we're telling yeah. everybody to just do that, but <laughs> that is quality advice. Maybe I need to find myself an Irish. <laughs> I need to find myself an Irish husband. So everybody's listening now. <laughs> well, it's less attractive than it was, if only because the UK brexited. Otherwise, right. prior to that, it was the entirety of Europe that you had access to. And uh, when we lived in London, my wife didn't have to do a visa because. She had an Irish passport pre-Brexit meant that uh, right. she could work there without limitations or even requiring a visa. She was just a citizen of Europe at that stage. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, but the rest of Europe is still accessible. Uh, and after three years, I will, three or four actually, I did some more investigating and it might be four, but I may have the opportunity to naturalize and get my citizenship. Now, no. some people might be thinking, well, why is that, you know, that's not hard. Geez, that's, that's quite a long time. In Australia, starting with a partnership visa in 2014, temporary, then moving on to permanent, it took my wife about nine years to go through all of that visa stuff. And this isn't including the five or six working sponsorship visas she had and the year and a half working holiday visa she did before that to then be eligible to apply for her citizenship. So in a country like Australia, 10 or 11 yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very happy with the way the visa stuff has turned out <laughs> and very thankful to my wife that she is in fact Irish when we decided to move here. <laughs> 
Right. Well, it definitely, you know, makes makes things easier. And, and it is something for for people to consider. Um, I do believe that if you can move to Ireland on on different visas, like temporary residency, then then to get in after after being there, um, I was just looking at it the other day, after you're there for eight years, within an eight year span, you have to be there for a minimum four years. So it's one of those things where they say four years, but if you go on holidays or you take time away, it deducts that. So it's a certain number of days. Um, obviously for being married, those rules are are different for, for you, but for other people, if they wanted to, they got to get their the residency. And then over the span of eight years, they have to be there a minimum four years to then apply to get citizenship. So it, it's a lot of freedom to still travel because it's only saying that you have to be there for six months out of the year with the intention of becoming a citizen and still staying longer. But six months out of a year on average is it's it's not a long time where other countries mm. and even within Europe, um, we mentioned Portugal. Uh, and I think Portugal, you have to be there nine nine months out of every year or something like that to maintain your wow. residency status. I, I could be a little bit off on that, but it's it's more than than six months, that's for sure. And, and every country mm. has their own rules with residency, how long you have to be there. On occasion, they'll make an exception to the rule if you know a family or friend, a family member is very ill or, or something like that. Um, they may make a few exceptions, but there's still the, a minimum number of days per year that people have to be in the country while they're getting, uh, while they have their residency. Hmm. And there's a little bit of a gray area with uh, in situ applications too. Uh, going through a lot of the expat groups around Ireland specifically, there are a lot that are asking questions like, I could only get my Garda interview, you know, in eight weeks, but I have to travel for work and leave the country and then come back. So am I allowed to do that? Can me and my husband or my wife go to another country and come back and still be eligible? How do we enter the country on re-enter on our stamp four or... Uh, my husband will be out of the country unexpectedly at the time of our Garda appointment. It's our last opportunity. He's taken his passport with him. So how can I confirm his identity without him being there to enable the stamp for to happen? A lot of that information isn't really covered very well, probably because they expect, you know, you to do just the standard thing, consecutive time for approval, living in the country that you'll be in. But in all circumstances, it's not always possible. Right. And Australia is worse for that. Like I think uh, for the four years out of eight for Ireland, it might be, I think, a consecutive six weeks on some visas that you can't leave the country. And if you do it more than once, you have to talk to uh, immigration in Australia before you leave again, which... Yeah puts a lot of people out because obviously it's a very multicultural country. Mm -hmm. We've invited refugees. We've invited people from countries that have been quite hostile to its citizens occasionally. And mm -hmm. not to mention the pandemic, uh, all of that stuff has meant that Australia has been quite cut off and, you know, deliberately cutting itself off from some countries to make it hard for people to go back and see their families. So, Yeah swings and roundabouts mm -hmm. and those are those are some things also too to take into consideration for for different places for people who are thinking about 
relocating is for my residency. How long do I have to be there? How easy is it to come and go? Um, you know, there, there, there's, there are a lot of things to, to consider and it's, it's not just, oh, I'm packing my bags. I'm going to go here and it's going to be great. <laughs> great for the backpacker. But as soon as you great think about tax residency, mm -hmm. you have to have rules for yourself based on That's the right. information you get, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and rules change. Um, mm. So, you know, the, the thing just with that is just because it's a rule now, as we've seen in happening in Portugal over the last year, you're thinking, okay, I've got it. I'm going to move in three years. These are all the rules. These are I know they may not be the same rules in three years. Yeah. Probably for the next year, generally. Um, but we've seen things even change quicker than that. So uh, it, it's something to really kind of consider or think about and know that just because those rules are the way that they are now, then that's, they may not be the same in two, three years from now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So finding it, finding a way to keep up with that is also extremely important advice for anyone. But luckily there's Facebook groups for that kind of thing where even if it's not the information itself or someone gets it wrong, you're kind of like, oh yeah, I've been in this country for two and a half years. Maybe I should have a look at what immigration's been up to and see see what's right. been updated. Or there was a change of government or you know, some new uh, department was created that was designed mm -hmm. to control super genius visas and you know, high paying, you know, whatever you could make up anything, but yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and those things change often and there's lots of times they're not talked about really until somebody goes through the experience of, Oh, well, these are the new rules. It's like, well, that's, yeah. wasn't last year when I did this or that. No, oh no, these are new rules now. And they're not, you know, news headlines um, at all. They're just mm -hmm. laws and things that kind of quietly change. And we don't know until we or someone else goes through it. Um, and then that's how, how we learn. Sometimes they're not even rules. Again, I'm going to complain about Australia. Great country. You should go see it if you can sit on a plane for 20 hours to get there. But um, the passport approval process for people uh, applying for citizenship and for visas and stuff like that. Sorry, not passport approval, but visa approval. Mm -hmm. It is extended very gradually over time to the point where five or six years ago, you'd be looking at nine months approval time for a visa. That could be blasted way out to 36 months, maybe even 48. And they are like predictive numbers based on the number of applications, but you kind of have to be tactful with that too. Like we applied mm -hmm. while in London because applying for a visa outside of Australia tends to get approved much faster than when you're in Australia. And they do that priority because they have a bridging visa, which for any application you have uh, currently in process, is sometimes you're entitled to that bridge, which means you can live, sometimes work in the country without much restriction based on the visa you're going for. So they don't worry about you if you're in there too much, but it could still hamper what you get up to. It could hamper your life a little bit. If you've got to wait for three years, because you met something while someone while backpacking in the country. And the only way you can stay there is on a partnership visa, but they quote you 36 months and you you're like a, a CPA trying to get started with accounting. And then you don't have 40,000 to reeducate as a postgraduate international student, because you're not on a visa or a resident. Mm. 
yeah that's there's more than just the rules yeah yeah do you think that with that that they make it they're making it it's the actual number of people and that's why it's taking longer or do you think they're also dragging it out to try to reduce the number of people and not let as many people get residencies or maybe a little both we are starting to get to a very contentious part of this topic (laughs) where stories of an Australian liberal government where the prime minister refused access to the country for boats evacuating a war-torn country back in, I want to say 2008, 2010, uh, no longer in government, but uh, also having detention centers where uh, refugees are often sent because they're denied access to the country, still processing what their what what will be their ability to live in the country, but taking a very long time to do so, and often leaving them in conditions that would be inhumane in the best of countries. Uh, also, the idea that we may have like an internal priority access for certain types of citizens, uh, not to mention like anywhere in the world, if you have enough money, you can get anything done quick enough. There's a lot of aspects to this that I probably probably would go beyond the scope of what your podcast mm. is trying to say mm. and could potentially put this podcast episode in the bin if we talked about it. So I don't want to go and do it too much, but look, there is- Don't want to all of a sudden be blacklisted. <laughs> I, I I wouldn't want you to listen to back to our awesome conversation about expat life and think, yeah, I don't, I'd rather rank well in Australia with my podcast. So I'm just going <laughs> to- I'm just going to scrap this one. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. We're, it's, it's all good. Oh, we'll, we'll get back at you. And it's, you know what, it just comes down to really it's research, knowing where you're going. Um, things do change and, and finding kind of what's, what's best for, for you. And so let's talk about some other things that we talk to some people about when they relocate. Um, and what about banking? Like, I'm sure banking Australia to compared to Ireland, North America, pretty similar, pretty easy. Or has it been a little, little bit strange to open up a bank account where there's some hoops to jump through? I mean, easier probably for your wife because she is citizen. And how has it worked for you? Or did, how, how has that worked? <laughs> uh, it is actually not as easy as some countries. Um, I think Australia actually leads a lot of countries in the ability to Excuse me, got a cough. Or <clears throat> it got choked up there. Um, yeah, I think Australia leads the way with a lot of banking and financial stuff, not in terms of the money itself, but the availability of certain functions, like mm-hmm. uh, the chip and pin in Australia on cards came before a lot of other countries, where I think some in the US still operate on signature, potentially, or are you guys chip and pin now? Well, I'm I'm Canada, so we're chip and we're mostly chip and pin or or tap. Um, I haven't, okay. but I I I mean I left Canada in 2011, so I, I still go okay. back, but I, and I still have a bank there. I still have an, an account there, but I I I don't know for signature. I mean, it, it must have been it's been so long, or at least the bank that I deal with, because yep. even in Canada, banks are quite different. Because I was just back um, a few months ago. 
And my brother was going to travel. And I said to him, I said, well, you know, he was going to Taiwan. And I said, well, just use your your debit card. It's a Visa debit. If it's used anywhere, Visa can go. And he said, what are you talking about? I'm like, your debit card, you know, that you use for your bank and it has Visa on it and it's your Visa debit. So it's accepted anywhere Visa is. It's They just take the money right out of your account. It's not a credit card. He said, well, my bank doesn't have that. So what are you talking about? Like my bank's had it for 10, no. Gosh, I've been gone for over 10 years. So like 15 years, roughly. And he contacted his bank and they're like, oh no, we don't, we don't offer that. You can get a prepaid card. But I'm like, my day-to-day bank card is Visa Debit and his bank, which is a different bank, they do not offer that service. And mine, I've had it for at least over 10 years, for sure. And I was just shocked. So it's even interesting that within Canada, one bank, something that's common for well over 10 years, another bank doesn't even offer. Mm. And it's it's kind of the same here as well, I think, in okay. Ireland. Um, mm-hmm. There was a bit of a rustle up. Uh, there's actually two I can mention, which is a bit of fun. Uh, one bank has uh, went into a receivership and left Ireland completely. So I knew a few people who had accounts with that bank, and it was a very complicated process to... Um, you know, deal with that. Uh, there's also a lot of cases here where they've started clamping down on the ability to move money into Ireland and then back out again because of the whole money laundering thing. Uh, you know, moving drugs, moving illegal products. Uh, it's a good way to to move that money around. Uh, as a personal anecdote, my experience of getting an account was very easy but I had picked a bank that had a very, very long, but straightforward ability to create an account here before I even arrived. All they needed was my address in Australia and some identity documents done at ungodly hours because of the time zone differences. But uh, once it was in, it was in, which was great. Um, Actually for anyone listening, Bank of Ireland is where I got that done. And I recommend it to anyone that asks as well. Uh, But there's a very interesting movement over here and possibly the rest of Europe as well, where there are digital only bank accounts or bank Mm -hmm. services. Revolut Mm -hmm. is a huge one over Mm -hmm. here. And a lot of people moving here will advise that uh, the rates are better. It's easier to manage your money, uh, all that stuff with Revolut. And they only require identity documents from wherever you are in order to create that account. So... Uh, some banks here have started offering digital only services as well. Um, I think the idea of the uh, online, uh, you know, internet banking thing is still kind of fresh over here a little bit, unfortunately. Um, they still have a lot of branches around to do things in. Uh, and look, I, my mentality with money here with us getting started was that I I have enough to financially support myself for a little while. I also have enough that I don't have to worry about exchange rates so much when I make the transfer to make things happen here. So for me, it was straightforward. You, I I transferred my money with IBAN or Swift, or I can't remember which one I used at the time, from my bank in Australia to my bank here and you know, 
it ate a bunch out of the exchange rate and whatever transfer fees were involved. But uh, that was the simplest no-hassle process for me. That removed the burden of me worrying about you know, penny pinching for 20 euro here or 20, 30 euro there because that mm -hmm. wasn't my primary thing that I was worried about. But there is a lot of uh, currency transfer services that people recommend here to make the most out of whatever you transfer. If you're just doing like a few thousand here, then you probably wouldn't worry about it. But some people are looking to uh, get mortgages and buy houses. And right. if you've sold your home in your home country and you want to transfer, you know, 150,000 Australian, you'll want to optimize that tax rate as much as possible and optimize the currency exchange as well, just so that Absolutely. you're getting the most out of it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And I, I have some of that. So I have the Revolut. Um, in Spain, I've got N26, which is the same. It's kind of like an online banking. I use WISE as well, which is mm -hmm. great for transfer and to hold money into it, different currencies. And so there, there are a number of, of ones as, as well that, um, are, are great, but yeah, and it is something to, to definitely think about. And I always say to people, it's really important to have multiple bank accounts, especially when you're traveling. If something happens to one or your card doesn't work, maybe there something's wrong with their machine. I've had it happen before where when I first, it was before I had my visa, I think maybe it was it before, no, I was still my, my, my visa debit. But anyway, um, when I first moved to Barcelona, my visa debit would not work with certain bank providers. So even if I was, mm. went to pay for food, if it was a certain bank, it wouldn't accept my card. Wouldn't, it wouldn't decline it. It would just be like, we can't read this card. And, yeah. and that became a bit of, of a problem because when I first, it was the only one that I had. And I'm like, there's yeah. money in there. I, it's your machine. They're like, it's your card. I'm like, no, it's your machine does not work with my card. My card does not work with your machine. Like they both work, but they're not working together. Um, yeah. And so having that second bank, I can't remember which one, if it was Revolut or the N26 that I, that I got after just then made things easier because if I was using it with, with my, my Canadian bank card, certain machines, no problem. It would work certain banks, no problem. It would work, but other ones it wouldn't. So then I could use the other card and, and still go to a restaurant go, knowing it doesn't matter what machine they have. I'm still able to pay for my lunch because I now have funds in both. So, um, I mean, that's just one example. There's other examples that we think of bank collapsing, identity theft, just, uh, you know, what happened in Canada a while ago was freezing bank accounts for protesting and things like oh, that. Yeah. Like, yeah. So when that started, yeah. I was like, I don't trust the government at all. I had already had a couple accounts since then, but since then I've really talked to people. It's like, you need to open up another bank account. So, you know, if the government threatens you or if it is identity theft or anything, that you at least have some money in another account to buy some food, pay your bills, pay your mortgage, hire a lawyer if you need to, depending upon what the situation is and it's it really is important and there's so many options nowadays where yeah. um you know you don't always have to travel to a country it, it is a little bit harder and there's more hoops to jump through but there are some countries that you can still open up a bank or there there's the online some of the online ones um that you can use and just to transfer some funds in there every month or whatever it may be just to have some some extra cash in there just in case and hopefully you never need it and then you know what then you've got extra money to I don't know, go on vacation or using your retirement or yeah. whatever it may be because it's building up. And if you're always kind of putting money in there, it's it's a it's a savings of a just in case. And if you never need it, then it's a woohoo. 
I'm going to go do what I want. Yeah, that's it. And I've often thought about, um, you know, as our far-flung future, because I don't think we're in the stage of the world at the moment where settling down in one place for 60 years is the thing that people do. Um, mm -hmm. And also exploring tax and uh, residency and visas and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I would like the idea that if finances weren't a burden, that my wife and I could live in many different places throughout the year and do our our various individual entrepreneurial things in, you know, whatever capacity we choose to do them. And um, yeah, having that kind of uh, financial management, doing a thing like that would be super important because you don't want to have all of your money living in one country and then having to deal with tax rates or, uh, you know, your a citizen or someone on a visa that's since left and the government can control where those funds sit or have to freeze them because they need to check that you're not uh, deceased or, you know, absconded somewhere. I was just, I was about to go into an example about where you might go to a place where you can't return, but we're talking about planet earth. So it would have to be the moon. I think <laughs> one day that'll be possible, but one, yeah, one day yeah. it could be possible. And yeah, you just, you just never know. And, and so it's, it's a saying I've heard as a kid and I never thought of it in, in the different ways I think of it now is don't keep all your eggs in one basket. And, mm. you know, as a kid or even as a young adult, at first I thought of it towards the stock market, like don't put all your, all of your money in one stock or don't put it just in the stock market. And now I realize there's so many things like don't just have everything you own in one country. Don't have all your money in one bank in one country. Don't, you know, just don't have everything in one place. It's, it's, and that's the whole point kind of behind global citizen is to be like around the globe, diversify, have opportunities and um, just opportunities to do different things, be different places. And you never know. And exchange rates change all the time too. So if you've got mm. a, a bank account or something in, in another country. And I don't watch exchange rates that closely, but I check them out sometimes. And for some people though, when, you know, they know that they need Euro, like I use Euro and US dollar and Canadian dollar. But if I know that I'm going to be going to the US or back to Canada, I sometimes kind of watch those rates a little bit to see, okay, when should I transfer money from one account to another? Because those if it's small, it's not going to make that much of a, of a difference. But if if it's a larger amount, it can make a significant difference for sure. And over time, mm. you know, if you're always buying when it drops a little bit and you're putting it in, you're getting it at a be best rate and then you're spending it, whatever it may be, one, two, three years later, depending upon um, what, what your plan is. So, yeah. so Matthew, you said... Um, that you do have your own podcast. I think it would be a very interesting one for, for our listeners. So tell us a little bit about your podcast. Well, we actually started it a few months before we left Australia because it's called From from My Home to Yours. Uh, okay. It's us discussing our expat repat journey from Australia to Ireland because uh, we're moving from my home to her home. So you know, people fill in the blanks with whichever homes they're going to or coming from. Um, but yeah, we, we share, we, we just discuss on the podcast, different things about the move, our feelings and emotions, the different, uh, experiences that we undertake as part of that move, uh, generally to share advice to others, because there isn't a huge amount of specific 
detailed information for the space of people uh, such as couples without kids uh, who don't intend to have kids moving to Ireland, which is a very family first place. And mm -hmm. from Australia, at least, you'll find that most people moving to Ireland from there have have kids or they are both Irish and have kids and intend to move back, uh, which is a very weird thing. It's it's sometimes you see it, but it's quite rare to see a couple of Aussies going, oh, yeah, we'll give that a crack. See what happens, <laughs> you know, um, you know, excluding your backpackers and people that want to explore a little bit more of the world. Um, so really, we wanted to target that niche a little bit. And mm -hmm. we've had 16 episodes so far. We've been on a break for the last month because we've kind of hit a point where we're not experiencing and able to share new things for people to think about because we've done all those things now where at the time where we're settled in, we're just living life now. We're in like after phase one, there's nothing left to do to make the move happen. So we're kind of rethinking, retooling a little bit for how we want to approach the podcast and, and see what we do. But I've had the opportunity to talk to a few people over here as well. We've talked to Stephanie Wickham with expattaxes.ie and they've got a podcast as well, which is great. I'm, I think I'm going to be on that on Friday. Uh, we talked to an insurance company over here, which is very interesting for purchasing cars in Ireland. You need to make sure that you have registration, uh, the NCT, which is basically the roadworthy check and the insurance all in place before you drive the car off the lot. And that's oh, if wow. you can get a car and you have enough money to get it. Just like houses, the secondhand car market is incredibly scarce over here for probably the same reason that houses are as well. Um, and we also talked to uh, that government body I mentioned earlier in in this episode, uh, Crosscare Irish Diaspora Support Project. Uh, a couple of people from there, they're the ones pushing all this policy to make it easier for people to get their visas done in Ireland, as well as uh, communicating with embassies all over the world to make it easier for anybody to come here or to go anywhere else from here. Um, so it's kind of, it's a bit of a, like a family blog to keep people that we know up to date with what we're doing, as well as a bit of an advice show. And uh, because I'm a podcaster myself, I've played around with the format a little bit there is one episode that I'm particularly proud of where we made voice recordings of every step of the journey from when we emptied and left our property, which we still own. We're renting to other people. So we had to get rid of our possessions, put them in storage um, and all the emotions with that and being with my parents for about a week before we flew out of the country, being on the plane, in the airport, and then landing in Dublin once our journey was complete. What's a little emotional voice messages assembled into an episode with interstitial uh, uh, captured environmental noises. Like uh, my wife particularly is fond of the sound of magpies in Australia, the call that they make, and it really reminds her of Australia. So we had to throw in a couple of them too. Well, that's nice. Well, that's mm. great. And it just even, um, you know, it just gives people also things to think about and things mm. to go oh this is normal to feel this way oh that's great so i think it's it's a, a great podcast and we'll make sure to put a link to that in the show notes below i think it'll be 
um, great for our listeners. So Matthew, I just wanted to say thank you very much for your time today. I know the listeners got a lot of valuable information and I hope they check out your podcast as well. Thank you, Sally. It's been great to be here and talk about all these things I've been learning that, you know, I can use somewhere else other than from my own context. So <laughs> it's been great. Great. Thank you. Thank you.